Now you finna flame up, amen. Amen. Uh, Elder Watkins, amen. There's so much. We'll be here all day with his uh, resume. I mean, he's just been so much to the church. But I tell you, I just thank him, the Lord, for him. The church thank him. I mean, just wonderful. It all started back years back with his grandfather's father and all. The walking's been a blessing to new life. Amen. So we're going to right now just going to ask the Lord to bless him, to bless the message today as he bless us in Jesus' name. So I don't have to introduce him. Amen. Those here, everybody know him. So right now, Elder Watkins. Amen. Amen. And I have already prayed for you. I hope you have prayed for me. I have prayed that, uh, that he has gone before and that he has touched the hearts and the minds of those who are here present, uh, uh, the saints, the family, the friends, uh, those that maybe are just visiting for the first time. My prayer has been for you this morning that he would use me in such a way that you might be blessed today. I want to give honor to God who's the head of my life. I want to thank the Lord for my wife, for my family, for the church family. Sometimes I just kind of reflect back on the church family and how much the church family means, not only to me personally, but to my family and uh, what the church family means to all of us. Whether you have sat down and considered it or not, God has truly blessed us. He's blessed us with families that are biological, but he's also blessed us with a family that is united because of the blood of Jesus Christ, an eternal family. And that is a family that I would not want to do without. Sometimes blood relatives, you can do without them sometimes and all of their drama, all of their foolishness, right? Sometimes if it wasn't for that blood that you share, you might be like this, <laughs> right? But I'm glad that it is not so with the family of God, or at least it should not be. And we're going to talk about that some on today. Let's bow our heads and then I'll let you be seated. Dear, kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, your loving kindness, Lord God. We thank you for this yet another day that you have blessed us with, not just another day for us to live, but another day, Lord God, for us to have an opportunity to bring glory and honor to you in the things that we do and say and think, Lord God. We know, Lord God, every day that you bless us to be able to wake up to see another day that we have a purpose, and that purpose is one that is divinely inspired and one that has been drawn out and planned out from eternity past. And Lord, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would bless these, your people, as we get into your word, that they might be not hearers only of your word, but doers also. Help us, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that we would take this word and hide it deep in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, 
but not so deeply that we don't share it with others. Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness, and we thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity. Bless now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. After I received word from Pastor that I was going to be up this week, I uh, wanted to make sure that I didn't just go to my bag of tricks. As I heard some preachers say, you know, you always keep uh, an extra message, you know, uh, either in your briefcase or in your pocket just in case you get called upon. And I was thinking about doing something uh, along those lines, but I messed around and prayed first. And God took me in a different direction this morning. And I said, Lord, I don't have a whole lot of time now to get a message together. But I, I said, you know what, let me go on ahead and, and, and uh, just, just go ahead and, 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 and do what it is that God would have me to do rather than what it is that I would have me to do. And then the Lord said, well, why don't you go on ahead and study the Sunday school lesson first? You know, do things in order. I said, Lord, I, oh, I don't have a whole lot of time. I may have to just go on ahead and bypass this week. But I was trying to be obedient. I went on ahead and studied the Sunday school lesson for this week. And as it began to speak to me, there was a passage that came to me and actually was one of those passages that we were instructed to read in the Sunday school lesson. And that was enough for me. I knew that this was the direction that we needed to go, but there was a word that just kept on coming to me as I was studying. And this word was fellowship. 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 And what does fellowship mean? Fellowship. And then, of course, because I know something about these hymns that we've been singing all these years, the song came to me, what a fellowship. It's not just fellowship. We're talking about what a fellowship. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means this is not some ordinary run-of-the-mill, every single day fellowship that we're talking about. We're talking about something that is extraordinary, something that is extraordinary, something that is otherworldly, something that is not of this world, something that is awesome, something that we should not take for granted. And I was led to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, but also 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And we're going to try to see if we can hit these verses and not keep you too long. I say that every time, and I'm trying to get better. So, why do you all keep coming here week after week to this church? Have you ever asked yourself that? Is it a habit? It's Sunday, so that's what we do. We go to church, right? What church am I going to go to? Well, I'm going to go to my church, right? Hopefully, you'll get up and go to church. Is it because of pastor? Pastor Jerry Seawright, do you get up every week to come see and to hear from, from uh, I was going to call him doctor, from pastor Jerry Seawright, Dr. Pastor Bishop Seawright, right? 
Is it the preached word that inspires you to come every week? Is it the children of God that you like? Or maybe it's because you like me. I don't know. Maybe you even love me. I don't know. Could be. (laughs) Is it because you love each other? And because you want to be around the children of God. Okay. Is it all of that? Or is it less than that? I believe it's all of that and so much more. Okay. It is the sharing. Right. It is the caring. It is being around the brotherhood. It is about being around the sisterhood. It is about fellowship. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Easy definitions that we can come up with and maybe get from secular sources would say that it is about friendly relationships and companionship. It's that. It's about community, a community of interests and feelings about certain things. It is about communion as between members of the same church as we are. It is an association of persons having similar tastes and interests, etc. It is a company, a guild, or corporation. When we think of fellowship, we think of good times, don't we? When you think about fellowship, about pleasant experiences, Times filled with fond memories, right? We think of time spent with fellow believers, perhaps sharing a meal or simply just spending time with others of like mind who have similar beliefs or interests. I sometimes think about those times when I have been able to share time with the people of the, of the church. In particular, of, of uh, most recently, I've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Elder McGillie, doing some things together, doing some work together, doing some, you know, uh, some construction, building things. And one of the things that I find that's different about me going to work at St. Joe and me working with Elder McGillie is the nature of our conversation that is back and forth compared to the conversation from my coworkers at the hospital. We were doing some hard work over there as Sister Radcliffe, weren't we? Huh? We was getting sweaty and dirty, right? And probably a little sore for our age, right? But I don't know about you, I didn't feel like it was work the whole time because we were sharing with each other as we went along. We were of like mind. We were able to fellowship while we were working. And the day did not seem like it was dragging on. It seemed like it went too fast. This is the what of fellowship that I'm talking about. I have had an opportunity to spend time with Deacon Price more so in recent years than I ever have in the past. And it is the same way when I have an opportunity to spend time with him as well. What a fellowship. Not an acquaintance, right? Not just an association that's light, but we're talking about a fellowship. Brother Tom 
and I, along with Brother Chris, we go out and have lunch and breakfast sometimes. What a fellowship. I've had an opportunity to go out with Deacon Mark in like manner. What a fellowship. We've had an opportunity to meet here, the brothers at the church, all of us together, from the youngest to the oldest and even the middle-aged, right? Which is where I fall in. <laughs> right? We all are able to get together and fellowship. Now, some of them, I don't know, I, I didn't notice any of the young people looking at their clocks last time we met. Their, I don't even want to say clock, their watches or their phones. Most of them don't even have watches anymore. They have phones to tell them what time it is. But I didn't see anybody, like, looking around saying, when is this going to be over? Fellowship, right? It is something that is contagious. It's something that is infectious. And it is something that, when done right, can be desirable. And we could possibly not want it to ever end. Hmm? That is how heaven has been described, right? Hmm? Always how you doing and never goodbye, right? Hmm? Howdy, howdy, right? And never goodbye. Huh? Never have to worry about saying goodbye, but just see you later, right? I oftentimes have to use that expression when families on the cancer floor or in the ICU that I have to talk with are dealing with the passing of a loved one, one that is either about to die or has already died. And I find out and get some insight into the person's spiritual life and the spiritual life of the family. And I always tell them, once they let me know that not only was their loved one a Christian, but they are a Christian and believe in Jesus Christ, that there is a difference between saying goodbye and saying, see you later. And their faces light up and the tears dry up. Because now they have a hopeful expectation that they will see their loved ones again. And this is not just some coping mechanism. This is the truth that I am sharing with them. And this is something that we can look forward to as well. But fortunately for us as the children of God, we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to have a good time with each other. Is that right? We can fellowship right now. Right? Is that right? And I'm going to tell you, I enjoy it. I love to be around you people. <laughs> because you are God's people and you are my people as well. So when we look at those that maybe we uh, have time to fellowship with. I don't want anybody, you know, who I didn't mention by name to be jealous or anything. You know, I mean, our plan is to include you as well. We want to we wanna add more, right? As Pastor said, the more, the merrier, right? And we want to have that opportunity. But unfortunately, we live in this space-time continuum where there's only 24 hours in a day. I wish we had more time in the course of a day. I'd call every one of you and spend some time with you each day, but we don't have that time, do we? And sometimes our schedules don't permit us to meet during the week. But I have tried and I am trying to reach out to people by phone more often than I have been. And it's a process. It takes time. That's something we all 
need to try to do if we can just carve out a small part of our day to spend talking to and encouraging one another. Sometimes the Lord will lead you to call someone or lead you to go somewhere. And once you get there, you find out why you, was, why you were sent there and you find that there was somebody who needed to talk to you, right? You didn't know that, but you just went because the Spirit led you to do so, right? And that's the way God works. He, if, you, if you believe that the, the, the footsteps, the, the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by God, don't be surprised when he orders them, right? Don't be surprised when you find yourself in a place with a person, in a circumstance, in a situation that you didn't see coming, but you see God's fingerprints all over it, right? Don't be surprised when that happens. That person needed you to talk to them on that day. God knew it. You didn't know it, but God knew it, and he sent you that way. From a secular perspective, we may think of fellowship as being like the fellowship of, uh, I don't know, like the, 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 the Knights of the Round Table of King Arthur's Court. They had a fellowship, didn't they? Hmm? This fellowship was one that was around this table, but, and they had a round table so that no one would be more important than anyone else, but they all had this equality about them, right? There was no head of the table. It was a round table so that when they looked across the table, they saw their brothers in arms. They saw those that they fellowshiped with. And yes, they ate together. They experienced life together. They had difficult times. They fought many battles filled with dangers and challenging circumstances as they fought against the evil in the realm, right? Wherever that was, right? Likewise, the Fellowship of the Rings, written by J.R.R. Tolkien uh, of the Lord of the Rings, they had the fellowship around campfires and meals, but they also had many epic battles where they fought side by side and they faced imminent danger and mortal death as part of their fellowship. That's part of the fellowship. It's not all about good times all the time, is it? Sometimes we fellowship in bad times also. Sometimes we fellowship in circumstances that are not pleasant, right? But we still have that camaraderie. We still have that fellowship with one another because, believe it or not, we are soldiers in the army of the Lord, right? Hmm? Aren't we? And no soldier who's enlisted in another man's army can entangle himself with the affairs of his own life and disregard the one who enlisted him. We have been enlisted. As soon as you say, yes, Lord, and you believe in Jesus, and you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, he's also the captain of your soul as well, right? He is also your commander-in-chief. He is also the one who gives you your marching orders. And yes, we are in a battle, a battle against evil, the evil forces of the world, much like King Arthur and much like those that were of the Fellowship of the Ring in uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. They were all striving against an evil force together. Even, they were, even uh, though they were not all the same, that is, there were some in, in these mythological 
mythological stories where some of them were what? They were, they were dwarfs, there was elves, there were men, there was centaurs and minotaurs and all kinds of other mythological creatures, but they all came together, they laid aside their personal quarrels and their disputes and their history, and what did they do? They fought together for a common good against a common evil. That's what they did. The same could be said of the Chronicles of Narnia, those of you that are familiar with that, written by C.S. Lewis, who had an uncanny way of taking the, the scriptures from Judeo-Christian principles, and he took that and put it into mythological characters and stories to convey the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Uh, that there was this good and this evil that was struggling against on. So in all of these cases, times were not always good, but the fellowship that they continued, that uh, uh, they had, they, it continued whether in good times or bad times, whether uh, a, a central, um, uh, with a central determination, and that was to fight against evil together. Paul had a fellowship, Paul, Paul. He had a fellowship with these religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? He had a camaraderie with the spiritual elite of his day, and it got to a point where he was so zealous in what it was that he was doing that he began to persecute Christians even. Uh, later, after uh, he met Jesus Christ, who is the way, on the way to Damascus to persecute the people of the way, right, who were later called Christians in Antioch, he was introduced to a new way that was better than the old way. Did you hear that? He was on a way, wasn't he? Hmm? And then he met Jesus Christ, who is the way, the general, the, the, the genuine article, right? And he was on his way to Damascus to, pers to persecute the people of the way, who later were called Christians in Antioch, and he was introduced to a new way that was better than the old way. As a result of his encounter, we know that Paul had a transformation in his life. He had a newfound fellowship with Christ. Paul, who used to be called Saul, not only got a new name, but he also got himself some new associates, some new acquaintances that were more like family. He called them brothers, right? Then what you would consider to be an associate. And these were the same people that at one time he had persecuted. Let's look at Philippians 3, 1 through 6. I'm just going to read that from the New American Standard Bible just to give us some context. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is not trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in spirit, in the spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself, I might have confidence in the flesh, I far more, right? 
circum uh, the uh, circumcised. He says circumcised on the eighth day. He's given his pedigree now. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Now, this is all of his pedigree in this old life that he once lived. This has to do with what it is that at one time in his life he thought was most important. But we're going to find out that he counted all that as dung, as loss, right? As nothing compared to having Christ in his life. When we think about this fellowship, oh, what a fellowship. What a fellowship. What a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms. Then it goes on to say, oh, how sweet to walk this pilgrim's way leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. This is the fellowship we're talking about, and it requires for us to not only lean on God, leaning on Jesus, but we sing a song that says, I need you to survive, right? God intended for us to have not only fellowship with him, but fellowship with one another as his children. So today I, I just want to kind of, we can break this down a little bit. Um, fellowship and loss, Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Fellowship and righteousness by faith, Philippians 3, 9. Fellowship and suffering until the resurrection, Philippians 3, 10 through 11. And then fellowship and testings, trials, tribulations, and triumphs, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. When we look at this fellowship and loss in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, it says, whatever things we, uh, but whatever things were gained to me, and this is, this is Paul saying after he has given his pedigree, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All that stuff that he used to put value in, all that stuff that he, uh, considered to put him in the upper echelons of that society, things that gave him clout in that society, all those things that any uh, uh, Jewish person would want to aspire to have, he counted all of that as nothing, as dung. Now, those of you that don't know what dung is, that's excrement from a cow or a pig or some other livestock, right? That is nothing, right? He considered it as rubbish, right? When compared to uh, what it is that he, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. So we look at verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do we consider knowing Jesus Christ 
as being a surpassing value? Just think of that thing in your life that's worth most to you. That thing in your life that is of most value to you. That thing that, whether it be, I don't know, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your car, maybe it's your wife, your husband, your children, I don't know what it is. Your job, that thing, your health maybe. That thing that you think is most important to you. Well, having a relationship with Christ is supposed to be far surpassing that, whatever that is. Do we see our relationship with Christ in that way? It says here to continue on, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. So everything that he had prior to his conversion, everything that he thought was important, that thing that gave him security in life, he lost all of that. And why did he lose it? He lost it for the sake of Christ. And he counted these things that he gave up, the things that he lost, as rubbish so that he might gain Christ. When you do that scale and you weigh what you used to be and what you gave up to be in right standing with Christ, is there ever a day that comes where you say, you know what? I don't know. I should have never did this. I should have just gone ahead and stayed where I was at, doing what I was doing, because I didn't have to give up too much. I oftentimes would tell my wife, and she encourages me to, if y'all don't believe it, she does. I have to encourage her sometimes, but she encourages me, and we have agreed that there's nothing back there that we want to go back to. There's nothing back there worth going back for. There's nothing back there that I would give up everything that I have right now to have. And when I say everything I have, I'm talking about everything that I have in Christ. That includes the suffering, right? The tribulation, the trials, the difficult times, right? Because God has not just filled our life with those things, but he has filled our lives with each other, right? Not just me and my wife, but the family of God. And we help to encourage one another. We help to, to, to strengthen one another. Like iron sharpens iron, so does a man sharpen the continents of his friend. Fellowship and righteousness by faith, Philippians 3, 9, and may be found in him. Now, he had an interesting way of, of, of saying this. He said he wanted to be found in him. To be found in him. Hmm. So when somebody finds you, they should find you in Christ, right? When someone stumbles upon you, right, they should find you doing the things of Christ. Uh, and that is, in every instance or situation, what you do, what you say, and what you think, people should find you in Christ, right? And, and Christ should find you in Christ, right? When you look around and nobody else is looking, nobody else is watching, and you think you're all alone, you should be found in Christ, right? Not found in that other fellow, right? In the devil. Not found in the flesh, right? Not found in the world, but found in Christ. He had this awareness that at any given time, he might be found somewhere, right? And he wanted to make sure that he was found to be in him. When we look at being found in him, uh, I can't help but think about those that were found in the ark when it started raining. You think that's an important thing? 
to be found inside of the ark rather than being found outside of the ark, right? If, if you were found outside of the ark after the door was closed and it started raining, too bad, so sad. Huh? There's no hope for you, right? You can bang and knock on that door as much as you want to. It's done. You have made your choice. We want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. This is where some people get it twisted. They think that it has to do with their righteous acts and what it is that they do. And they also believe that it is because of their righteous acts and what they do after they get saved that keeps them saved. That's not it. That's not it. The same one who is able to save you is able to keep you saved. The one who declares you to be righteous keeps you righteous throughout your life, right? Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. Does that mean you're going to be without sin? No, it does not. But it does mean that you are moving in a direction towards holiness and righteousness and godliness, and you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ daily. That should give somebody some encouragement. Somebody ought to be smiling up under the mask. I don't see nobody else smiling who don't have a mask, but that should give you some encouragement, right? That is not based upon your righteousness and your ability to uphold the law, but it is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What does it require? Faith. Faith that what God said is true. Faith that Jesus died on the cross and that he finished it like he said he did, and that he paid the price for your sins and has been paid in full. And how do we know that? Because God accepted it. How do we know that God accepted it? Because he rose him from the grave. If he didn't accept him as a sacrifice, Jesus would still be in the grave right now. But because he lives, huh? we can face tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next week and the next month, and we can continue to walk by faith knowing that we are secure in his hands. Believers have a fellowship that is of righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we have. This fellowship that we have is not just my belief. It's not just my righteousness that's been given to me by Christ, but it is each one of us who has accepted Jesus Christ. We share that, don't we? And that should enable us to have that fellowship. Believers understand that it is not by self-righteousness or by adhering to a bunch of laws that we are saved and will partake of the resurrection, but instead it is based upon the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us that we are able to stand before Christ unashamed. Right? Having fellowship not only with him, but with each other as fellow believers, each one being saved in the same way. See, you didn't get saved one way and I got saved another way, right? Huh? There's not one way for some and another for others. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's all I need to hear. If Jesus, the one who conquered death, who is God, said it, then I'm going to believe what he said rather than what somebody else's opinion is. But fellowship and suffering until the resurrection. Uh, Philippians 3, 10 to 11, that I may know him. Now, this is a hard thing here. We, we love to know Christ, don't we? But what does that mean, to know him? He takes it a little bit further. 
and the power of his resurrection. Oh, that sounds good. Knowing Christ and then the power of the resurrection. All right. But this other part is kind of troubling. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh-oh. What does that mean? Fellowship. Fellowship. That means we are all experiencing the same thing. We have something in common, right? Fellowship, right? There is a fellowship not only in knowing Christ, as we have. There's not only a fellowship in the resurrection, because those who have named Christ as Lord and Savior will all, like, in like manner, resp- uh, benefit from the resurrection. We will partake of the resurrection. But before we get to that, there's some things that we will also partake of together, and we will have a common fellowship in and around, and that is suffering. Who's suffering? Not your suffering. It says his suffering. Do we want to suffer like Christ suffered? Huh? Thank God we don't have to, all of us, right? But do you know that this is Sunday, and all across the globe, Christians acknowledge that Sunday is the the new Sabbath day, the day of worship, and that this morning in some countries, Possibly this one, I don't know. There are people gathering in a house or in a church or a building trying to have church service, and there's a lookout trying to make sure that there's nobody with automatic weapons and machetes coming to church to kill people because they believe in Jesus Christ. Huh? Those people are going through a different kind of fellowship than the fellowship that we're going through right now in our nice climate-controlled church with the padded seats, huh? right? With PA system, music that you can play loud and not worry about somebody hearing it and thinking that you're praising God and believing in Jesus, right? We have that ability in this country to do that. But there's some in other countries who don't have that as something that they can take for granted. And that is a different kind of fellowship than what we are accustomed to. It is nonetheless a fellowship because some of them not only are watching out for it because they are afraid that it might happen, but some have experienced it where they have had to name the name of Christ and then lose their head, to lose their life, because they would not deny Christ. Have we been put into that kind of situation yet? Have we even lost our job because of it? Huh? These talk, we're talking about people losing their lives. The fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Now, this is getting bad now being conformed to his death. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about spiritual death or are we talking about physical death or both? Could be both. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul Paul knows that some things are not going in his favor. Paul knows that things are getting bad. They're getting, getting rough, right? And he may, at this point, realize 
that he is going to die for the faith. He's going to lose his life. But he is not concerned about that because he understands that the, res res the resurrection of the dead is a real thing, right? And it has to do with faith in Christ. This spiritual resurrection, according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. We have been made alive spiritually already. Not some future event. We were dead spiritually, and now we have been made alive. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why is he talking about this like it's already been done? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. From God's perspective, all of this has already been done. We just fail to realize it, that we are sitting in those heavenly places, right? that we were dead and now we are alive and now we should walk around like people who are alive and not walk around like people who are dead and disgusted and upset with, with life and, and the world around us, right? Walk around like you are a person who is alive. Do you believe it? If you believe it, you should show it, right? That is the greatest evidence that you believe it when you act like it, right? So act like it. <laughs> the physical resurrection uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ. I like the way they put that fallen asleep, not died. They're just sleeping, right? It's not goodbye. It's see you later. I'll see you when you wake up, right? Hmm? What a great getting up morning that will be, right? When all of the saints wake up at the same time and we go on to be with the Lord and there we shall be forevermore. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, it says, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I like this part. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, what? Encouragement, right? Isn't that what we were talking about this morning? Encouraging one another, comforting one another, comfort one another with these words. This is the part that we oftentimes, and this is the part that, that, the, that the Holy Spirit laid on me. Sometimes when we think about fellowship, we think about all the good stuff, 
right? But there's also fellowship in testings, in trials, in tribulations, in triumphs as well. When we look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Why are you surprised? Hmm? Why are you surprised when you go through these fiery ordeals among you, when you go through testings and trials and tribulations? Why are you surprised? As though some strange thing hmm, were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing. Now, Sister Tammy this morning said that it's not like being sadistic or anything like that, where you want to be like, you know, Lord, I don't think you done gave me enough testing and trials. I need you to turn the fire up a little bit more. I need a little bit more. Give me another, right? Crank, crank it up a little bit. I can take some more. I can take. Nobody going through tests and trials ever asked the Lord, like, Lord, you know what? This is kind of substandard. This is kind of subpar. You, you know, you can do better than this. You know, give me your best. You know, give me your worst, right? Nobody does that when they're going through tests and trials, right? That is because the Lord knows exactly how much you can bear, right? And then he's going to take it up a little bit not, a notch higher. So why? So that your faith is increased that much more, right? He's not going to give you what you can bear because that's not going to test your faith, is it? Right? That's just status quo. I've been dealing with these aches and pains and cricks in my neck and my joints is sore. I've been dealing with that for years. That ain't nothing. But let the doctor say you got a tumor. Let the doctor say you got high blood pressure, right? Let the doctor say you're a diabetic. Let the doc doctor say you got COPD and, and you got to do this and you got. Now, oh, Lord, this is the big one. I don't know if I can do this, right? No, no. He's taking you to the next level of faith, right? And how are you going to grow spiritually if he keeps you lifting that same five-pound dumbbell your whole life? This is nothing. I did my 10 reps. I'm done. No, he's going to increase that weight little by little by little, right? And when you look back on your life and you say, I started out at five and now I'm at 50. I'm at 100 now. How did you get there? Overnight? Nope. Step by step, day by day, little by little, God continued to add that weight so that he could build your spiritual muscles, which now you lift in 10 times more than what you used to be able to lift. Why? Because he added a little bit more. And you didn't say, Lord, I had a little 10 pounds. I, that ain't nothing. Why don't you put 100 on there, right? And then you end up in the hospital because you tried to lift too much, right? So when we... Look at this verse 14. It says, if you are reviled for the name, name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a difference between suffering and then suffering, right? There's a difference between suffering for the sake of Christ and suffering because of your own personal foolishness, right? He goes on to say, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or evildoer, a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. What name? The name of a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian, then you need to glorify in that name, right? Why? Because what does it mean to be Christ-like, to be a follower of Christ? You are not just calling yourself that, but you are demonstrating it day by day, even when the times get hard, even when it's not popular to do so. You do it anyway, for it is time, it says. Anybody believe it's time? 
It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Where does judgment start? Hmm? It's going to start in the house of God. And we have seen where it has started in the house of God. I know in some denominations where the, the leadership of great denominations have suffered terribly in recent years. Some have died. Some have gotten so sick that they couldn't come back. Some churches have closed the doors and they left them closed. Why did they leave them closed? A lot of different reasons. Some because they were told to. By who? Did God tell you to close the door? Some because of fear. Well, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love and power and a sound mind. What does that mean? I'm not talking about you crazy. I'm talking about a mind that has stayed on God and you know who God is and you have faith in God. Therefore, you are sound in your thinking. You are sound in your mind because you know who you belong to and you know who is in control. But some have closed up shop. And some have gotten to a point where it is easier to just stay home and do church from home rather than come to church. People have circumstances, they have situations, and I'm not to stand up here and judge because this verse says that for it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. It's not my judgment, it's the judgment of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it's going to be rough for us in the church and we get judged, where do you think the people out in the world are going to stand when judgment comes? And if it is difficult that the righteous is saved, oh my goodness, what will become of the godless man <clears throat> and the sinner? It's not an easy thing, is it? You got some people walking around in their own self-righteousness. They come to church every Sunday, pay their tithes. They go through all the motions, don't they? It's difficult for people to be saved. Because it's difficult to save people from themselves. It's difficult because, as it has been said many times, you have those in this world <clears throat> who know they're saved and they're saved. There's those that know that they're not saved, and guess what? They're not saved. You have those who sometimes believe that they're not saved, but because they believe in Jesus Christ and have trusted him, they are saved, even though they believe at times they're not. But that one that is in the most dangerous position is the one that knows that he's saved, but he is not. Because he has deceived himself into believing that he is saved by some other means other than faith in Jesus Christ. And the fruit that is being born from his life is not consistent with true repentance. It is not consistent with one who has true saving faith. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Do you believe that we serve a faithful creator? Do you think he is worthy to have you uh, entrust your soul to him? Fellowship is not just about the warm and fuzzy time spent with each other, sharing a meal, watching the Super Bowl, that's good, or some church outing or function. It's doing life together. Doing life together. 
in the good times, the bad times, the ugly times, all the time, and not just on Sunday. Did you hear that? That's what fellowship has to do deal with. Fellowship with Christ and his children requires us to go through some uncomfortable times. When you deal with families, even the family of God, you may have to get your hands a little dirty. Hmm? Some might say, especially in the family of God, the church, you would have to do this. There's some messed up people in church. Did you know that? How do I know that? Because I'm one of them. God has had to continue to work on me. And I see how he is shaping and molding me. There will be situations that God does not necessarily help us to avoid, but rather he provides what we need to get through them, thereby strengthening our faith in him, providing us with a testimony that we can share with others in their time of need. And uh, this morning, I believe it was uh, Sister Clora who made mention of this passage that I was going to talk about in Revelation 12 and 10, where it talks about how it is that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. God allows you to go through difficult times, not just to strengthen your faith, but to give you a testimony that you can share with someone else coming up behind you who was going through a similar situation. And you can be that person, that vehicle, to help them get through that, right? Sometimes when we think about, Lord, help me, help me, Lord, help me, help me, we expect that the clouds are going to part, that a ray of light is going to shine down on our forehead, and you're going, oh, that's not how it works. God will send one of his children across your path. And if you are not careful, you may miss the opportunity that God has given to you to help get you through that. Well, I don't, I don't rely on other people. I just rely on God. <clears throat> I'm reminded of that man who was in the ocean, who was drowning. Hmm? And he was praying, God, if you save me, I'm going to turn my life over to you. Huh? Right? And it was, a, it was a boat that came by. Huh? And they had lifeboats and everything on, hanging off the side and life preservers. And they said, hey, oi, you need some help down there? No, I'm waiting on the Lord. Gone. I'm waiting on the Lord. Right? And he said, Lord, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for you. And then there was a helicopter that flew over, and he got on the megaphone. Hey, you need some help down there. Are you okay? You want us to throw down? No, I'm waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord, right? Now I'm going to add a little something. Then a shark came by and said, you need some help? Huh? Oh, Lord. Lord, this is the time you need to help me. Next time he talked to Jesus, huh? He was up in heaven. Huh? And said, Lord, why didn't you, why didn't you save me? Why did you, why you let me get ate up by that shark? You big dummy. <laughs> I, I sent you a ship with lifeboats and life preservers. I sent you a helicopter. And you just sat there and did nothing. You didn't reach your hand out. And then I prepared a great fish for you. We, we need to realize that we can be that instrument that God uses to help someone else, right? And the other person needs to realize that God has prepared people 
in your life to help you. And you do not want to be lifted up in pride and say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to do it out. I can do this on my own. I don't need no help. The Lord is my provider, right? Yes, he is your Jehovah Jireh, but he has provided us with people in the family, right, who can help us. That is something I've had to learn. In my life, I have been so independent and just doing things on my own where I just don't want to ask people for help, right? But I've learned now, you know what? I need some help every once in a while. And God has provided help all over the place for me. And I have a family that helps, and I have a church family that helps. And I am thankful to God that he has provided that for me. So we fellowship in loss also. Salvation is free, but it will cost you your life. It was not free for God or Christ. The cost was great. God requires that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, right? That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. That is something to look forward to. You cannot beat God given, can you? No matter how hard you try. I don't care how much you think you have given up, it will not compare to what it is that God will give to you, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor hath it entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We fellowship in righteousness by faith. Our faith is not based upon what we can do to earn salvation, because we can't earn it, right? But rather, what Jesus Christ has already done through the finished work on the cross. And I had to say finished, because finished means what? Finished. When something is finished, you don't add nothing to it, do you? Right? You don't have to, because why? Because it's, because it's finished. It's finished. We fellowship in suffering until the resurrection. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can count on it, 2 Timothy 3.12. And then the scripture also tells us in Psalms 34.19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Do you believe what the word says? We fellowship in testings, trials, tribulations, but don't forget the many triumphs that we have also. This is not a downer message. This is to tell you that God has provided us a means by which to triumph. We just have to reach out and accept it. We have to uh, acknowledge that he has provided us for us, and it comes by way of other saints that he has prepared for us. The ultimate triumph being our own glorification and exaltation. exaltation. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. This is what Sister Tammy was talking about this. Jumping up and down for joy, right? For trials and tribulations, right? You want to count it all joy. Why? Because you know the reason why you are being tested. You know the reason for the trial. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Do you want to be part of this eternal fellowship with God and his people? That's the question today. 
We have problems in relationships all the time. Some people come, they go. We keep spending our whole life trying to find that one, some of us. Some of us are fortunate like me and find our soulmate before we turn 20. But that is not normative. That is not for everyone. That is not the experience of everyone, right? But God is able to be so much more for us than we can ever think possible. He is able to provide for us what it is that we need more than we think we need. So if you want to have eternal fellowship with God and his people, his children, his co-heirs, his joint heirs with Christ in the heavenlies forever, then today is the day of salvation. We are going to um, have you come up, uh, those who want to have this relationship with God, those that want to have this relationship with the saints of God, to have this fellowship that is undying and unwavering, give you an opportunity to come up after service, after dismissal, and allow you to speak with and be prayed for and anointed by the elders uh, here at the front. Let's bow our heads. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your loving kindness, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have done for us on this day, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that you have made possible for us. What a fellowship you have made possible for us, Lord. One that is not only in this life, but one that will last throughout all eternity, Lord God. And we ask right now that you would help us in the name of Jesus, Lord God, to be there one to another, to help one another, to strengthen and encourage one another, Lord God. And Lord, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would uh, touch those, Lord God, who are considering making that decision to, to, uh, to seek after you, to, to receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, help them, Lord, not to uh, put it off until tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised to any one of us, Lord God. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, for your loving kindness, and we thank you for your word. And we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would bless this church, bless those who are here present and every family that is represented here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.